and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. I have my website, NARC Troopers, where you will find many podcasts and articles and a vlog and some books and some information about my one-on-one sessions that I offer and many, many things. So visit me at NARC Troopers. Today's topic is what rats teach us about narcissists. Well, they teach us several things. So um, let's just start with the first thing. They teach us about sex and infidelity. Why do narcissists cheat on their significant other who maybe is a supermodel with spicy sex moves and enthusiasm to please. A male rat was given a brand new fresh female rat each time for sex and the time it took for the male rat to climax stayed the same relatively low. Now they took a male rat and used the same familiar female rat After each time the male rat climaxed, the time increased. So essentially what that shows us is that the rat becomes desynthesized and the dopamine hit gets weaker and weaker when they are given the same female over and over. It works the same way with humans, but humans use more than dopamine to keep love alive with things like bonding, shared experiences, caring, nesting, mutual interest, commitment, ethics, and all that. Narcissists are dopamine junkies. They don't know how to love or bond. They just need the dopamine hit. It doesn't matter how awesome the sex is, eventually the dopamine hit is going to weaken and the narc is going to need to cheat to get that same intensity. Number two, they teach us about empathy. We're talking about rats. (laughs) Rats teach us about empathy and about narcissists. Um, Several studies have been conducted to determine if rats can feel another rat's fear or pain. A group of rats was shocked on the bottoms of their feet. It hurt and they remembered the pain. Then when they watched another rat get shocked on the bottoms of its feet, their brains were triggered to cause a rise in their pulse, heartbeat, and tremors, which indicate that they could feel their little rat friends suffering. They had actually some kind of empathy. So what is this empathy? It's a very human emotion that allows us to connect with others beyond sympathy and actually we actually feel hurt when other others hurt. We feel their pain when others feel pain. We share mutual experiences. Well, the narcissist can't do that. They just can't. In the lab, researchers found that animals like chickens and rats can self-administer 
pain relievers from special machines that are set up in these cages when they are in pain or hurting. In general, animals tend to avoid situations where they've been hurt before because they remember what it felt like, which is also something a narcissist cannot do. It indicates that they have memory and awareness of previous pain and threats. So they do learn from, from previous suffering. Empathy in animals spans different species and continents. Animals display empathy towards humans and other animals in a multitude of ways, including comforting, grieving, and even rescuing each other from harm, even at their own expense. You've heard about the, the, the dog that goes into the burning house to save um, the children and they perish in order to save them. Or you hear about, you know, we all know this one. If you have a cat and you're feeling sad, they're going to come and they're going to purr and they're going to sit on top of you and sit with you. And they know that you're sad. So animals have that capability, but a narcissist is not capable of feeling emotional empathy. And there are different kinds of empathy. There's also cognitive empathy, which does not involve any feelings or emotion. It's just an awareness. Oh, this person is sad. Oh, this person is happy. It's, it's an awareness of what other people are feeling, but you don't care. You can have cognitive empathy and be aware of what they're feeling and not give to, you know, what F words, right? I mean, that doesn't mean that you feel the pain or share it with them or bond or connect in any way with any feelings like that. It just means that you're aware that they're suffering. You're aware of what their feelings are is cognitive um, empathy. So narcissists could have cognitive empathy I mean, many of them are very, very clever and very smart. Of course they know. Uh, how could they not, right? With cognitive empathy, empathy. But what they cannot do is feel emotional empathy. And I don't think there's exceptions to that. I think that that's an impairment that comes from having a damaged brain and that there's just nothing that's going to bring that to life and make them feel that. Absolutely nothing. So they can't genuinely feel someone else's pain and, um, you know, it never hurts them to hurt other people or to see someone suffer. They just don't feel anything. Research suggests that narcissists might be able to learn this cognitive empathy if it's in their best interest to do so, if they can use it in their bag of tricks and their toolbox on how to manipulate or exploit others to get the fuel but that would be the only reason that they would would try to learn it and then it's just a learned um awareness that doesn't mean anything because it's devoid of feeling um they understand what is supposed to be felt at certain times and what is an appropriate response but they do not feel anything it is cold empathy i believe is what it's called cold empathy um or concrete cognitive empathy, and they may use it for bad purposes, but never, you know, anything genuine. Okay, so what else do rats 
teach us? Rats teach us about addiction. In the 1970s, Dr. Bruce Alexander conducted an experiment that has been commonly known as Rat Park. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Uh, Rat Park. Researchers proved that when rats were placed in a cage all alone with no other community of rats, they, um, and when they were offered two water bottles, one filled with water and the other filled with heroin or cocaine or something, the rats would repetitively drink from the drug-laced bottles until they overdosed and died. They became addicted. They couldn't get enough. And they kept going to the one that had the drugs in it. Then this question arose. Uh, is, is this about the drug or might it be related to their environment, the fact that they were alone? To test this hypothesis, rats were placed in rat parks where they were among other rats and free to play, to socialize, and to have sex. They were given the same access to the same two types of drug-laced bottles, one that was just water, one that had heroin or cocaine or opioids or something in it. And they remarkably preferred, guess what? The plain water. They chose the plain water over the drug. A community of other rat sex buddies and friends and play buddies, you know, this community of other rats beat the power of drugs. That's right. It, it, it was stronger. So apply this dynamic to the narcissist design. And what do they do? They isolate their target. Um, they create a mutual psychosis known as the shared fantasy. And they become the sole provider of all validation in the relationship. So the victim is essentially cut off from their community and the narcissist acts as the drug. Are you getting me? That's like the first scenario with the rat that was alone in his cage. The victim being in this solitary, isolated environment, cut off from all other people, well, they're there because the narcissist sort of creates this environment for them. And then they just keep returning over and over again and again to that narcissist until they die. According to this comparison, it seems important to remove the victim from the delusional addicted state of the shared fantasy and surround them with support from a community of family, friends, and other survivors. Unfortunately, here's the bad part, far too many victims have already lost all of their support networks because of the narcissist in their lives. And post-discard or escape, they must navigate recovery alone. It also goes to show the powerful nature of addiction that transcends one's own desire to survive. Wow, it's powerful stuff. Number four, what else do rats teach us about narcissists? 
They teach us about trauma. Researchers have studied the immediate and long-term results of complex trauma, both biologically and behaviorally. While the neural basis for these abnormalities has not been fully elucidated or stated or explained, studies have suggested an association between childhood trauma and structural and functional abnormalities of the brain regions that regulate emotions, such as the hippocampus, the amygdala, and the prefrontal cortex. And those aren't the only parts of the brain, but they're the main three. There are limitations in these studies because inducing trauma to humans has ethical issues, just for the testing part of it. Um, so therefore, previous studies of trauma surveying the neurobiological and genetic basis of anxiety and depression have used several animal models, including rats, to simulate the trauma response. And here's what we have. Complex trauma in human life during the perinatal, infancy, and juvenile periods may correspond to that of rats in the prenatal, postnatal, and juvenile periods. Maternal separation is commonly used method to induce postnatal stress in rats. Subjecting the rats to this maternal separation, um, when they're subjected to that, it's like, uh, well, it's a commonly used method to, to to cause them to, to feel stress and, and that can result in some very powerful and permanent changes. That's the conclusion. Other studies have focused on the long-term effects of several interventions during certain developmental periods. For example, juvenile isolation induces a variety of symptoms in rats including depression, anxiety, and psychosis-like behaviors and signs of um, autonomic um, sort of uh, metabolic dysregulation, including like the neuroendocrine system, the limbic system, the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, all of that, all of that gets jungle bungled up when there's um when they're isolated and they're alone when they're abandoned when parents support family friends are not available to them and it's just them alone in the world um then all of those things are severely affected that whole thing about shocking the little feet on the rats this electric foot shock has also been incorporated as a stressor in various animal models causing, you know, anxiety, PTSD, depression, other things. Even though there are previous studies that have been examined um, and they look at the stress over these different developmental stages, no previous studies have employed different stressors across developmental periods, which is a hallmark feature in human complex trauma victims. So it's unfortunate that they can't really ex do these, do this research and experimentation on humans. It would be unethical uh, to torture them in that way. 
So to do it on animals sort of renders a little bit um, different uh, outcome, I think, is what they're trying to say. But all of this supports the one idea that narcissism is a trauma response to something abusive during the early developmental stages of childhood. And it goes on to support that as a result, certain brain abnormalities are created as well as neurobiological and chemical imbalances. This is huge, guys. When you're thinking about people who have narcissistic personality disorder, this isn't just a personality flaw or somebody being selfish or arrogant or full of themselves. It is a mental illness. It is a mental disorder impairment that's not just mental. It, it affects them in a, in a variety of ways. And it's physical. It's a physical disorder because their brain is actually damaged. The narcissist that is truly like the malignant, um, far end of the spectrum, even covert or overt narcissist, all of them, you know, they, um, they're affected in all of these ways. It is a profound disturbance that renders them totally incapable of ever becoming a neurotypical normal person, average, you know, healed, happy, okay, ready to tackle life kind of person. They're always going to be impaired. They're always going to be um, sick because they are sick and damaged individuals. In conclusion, this is short today, right? In conclusion, what do I want to say? Um, all the research is there that reinforces theories about narcissistic personality disorders and makes the connection between that and our little furry rodent friends who have been instrumental in helping us understand the development of these pathologies, this altered brain science, this impaired development and maturation, and it's impaired, it's frozen, it's, it's fossilized, it's, uh, ostif it's, what is the word, ostified? Um, you get the idea. It's like it's, it's just captured at that moment like a, like a volcano exploded and covered them with ash, and they're just frozen in time in that position forever because it damages them in that way. It causes malignant personality traits and all this dysregulation and other character markers of NPD. As we understand personality disorders and the underpinnings of their progression, we can begin to look for interventions. Sam Vaknin has been a pioneer in developing treatments such as cold therapy, which is only in the beginning stages of study, even though he's been working on it for, for some years now. It takes a long, long time to, uh, to um, make these treatments legitimate and have the research and documentation to support it. Uh, it's like when they're vetting a new medicine, a pharmaceutical company has to keep, keep testing it over and over for quite a while before it's released to the public. Same concept. So, um, you know, perhaps that's going to be his final seminal contribution to the study of narcissism that he's devoted his life to, you know, as he attempts to combine what it is. He combines child therapy with trauma intervention. Those two things are sort of the basic fundamental foundations of this new therapy that he's working on. 
child therapy because narcissists are children who are again frozen fossilized at a child development period early in their life on average between ages six and seven let's say sometimes as young as four or five sometimes as old as eight or nine but on average most of the time most narcissists are about six or seven years old they are children they do not behave as children they do not have childish traits and childish um you know behaviors they are for all definitions for all practical purposes they are children they are children now let that percolate for a minute because that's super important so they use that and then they take the child therapy perspective that you're treating a child that's six or seven years old and you combine that with trauma therapy because they are trauma victims almost every time they've been victimized by abused and had horrible things happen that caused them to choose to murder themselves and create a false self they had to do that to survive and let me let me let me walk that back they didn't have to do that to survive but when they were in that position as children that was the only thing that they could think to do at the time and i don't know why some people would choose to go that way and other people who experience the same or similar abuse would go the other direction and become help helpers and saviors and people who want to uh you know be empathetic towards other people's suffering and help them it's like maybe those people become codependent and have dependent personality disorder like i do um and are you know easily get addicted to the narcissist and maybe they have their own problems in that direction but the narcissist at the time they choose to murder themselves to to ease the pain to stop the suffering to deal with the shame and the trauma and the abuse is so horrific that's all they know how to do and so we, we can't really blame them like why didn't you choose to be a helper why did you have to go to the dark side why did you have to create a false self to to replace your authentic real self why did you have to do any of that why didn't you just um you know become the other go the other way and there is no answer who knows who knows why i'm sure it's a combination of many things but in um dr vaknin's work when he does his work on cold therapy essentially it's it's child psychology um techniques and strategies combined with trauma intervention like you would get for cptsd or something like that we'll see how that goes you know a lot of people say that when you try to treat narcissism uh that you may be able to modify their behavior you may be able to help them recognize what they are how they're deficient and what they are lacking you may be able to help them um, do certain things but as far as fixing their brain repairing their brain and actually giving them feelings that they don't have love fear shame they feel tons of shame but they have spackled over it 
and then painted over it and killed it and stomped on it and buried it so deep it doesn't live in them they don't know what that is what it feels like because they murdered that along with them themselves so um yeah there's no way to bring those early childhood feelings back that make people human and so since they have disposed of those things and their brain has adapted and accommodated that trauma and abuse and all of that they are incapable i mean you can treat them to a degree and get some like behavioral changes but as far as really making them fully human again with fully human emotions um it i i can't think of one case not one out of millions and millions of narcissists in this world there's not one person who says i successfully cured this narcissism not one so that is where we are on that um you know in what has been become one of the worst prognoses for improvement um and and therefore one of the most problematic problematic and um you know unfortunate mental disorders to have um i think that we need to recognize that 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 these people are not just neurodivergent they have brain damage they have a trauma response they have adapted to severe trauma in ways that um have altered them fundamentally to the core and have taken away basic human emotion that is just simply not there it does not live in them they can't dig deep and find it it's just not there anymore so these things take many many years and to research and to, so maybe someday i'm thinking maybe there will be an implant to compensate for the deficient parts of the brain that have been damaged maybe there will be um some technology that you know like a pacemaker or an artificial heart maybe there will be some artificial part of the brain that you can put into a person that is has narcissism as a as a personality disorder or a psychopath or a person with antisocial personality disorder that you could just make a little incision and and put that little techno you know technological device in their brain that will compensate for the broken and deficient parts that don't work and suddenly it would be like turning the lights on and you know just like i'm hoping someday they'll have cures for blindness where they can do little procedures and ta-da they can see again i mean you think about the advancements in technology and the things that we can do going into space and growing body parts and petri dishes and just you know cloning people and cloning animals it seems like if we can do all of these just uh, unimaginable things we ought to be able to find cures for the blind cures for um different types of mental illnesses that just need uh a, a tweak in the brain uh some insert some implant that you just pop it in there and then 
everything that's wrong um, is repaired. I don't see why that wouldn't be possible. So that's something amazing to think about. Probably not in my lifetime. Well, I'm pretty, I'm older, so who knows how much longer I'm going to be here, but maybe not in your lifetime either. But I, I tell you, I see this happening. You know, there's people working with fascinating things. You know, Elon Musk is working on some telepathy uh, kind of like brain science where he's manipulating things where you're going to be able to communicate with your mind without saying a word, or, you know, from a distance. Uh, there's got to be a, something that they could do for these people. That's that's all I'm all I'm saying. It it seems like common enough happening increasingly more and more. It seems like they would find a way to um, fix it. Yeah, to just fix it. So um, anyway, until then, I guess they're going to continue using research on our furry little mammal, the rat. And we will continue to learn from these cute little boogers uh, all the little things that we need to know to help us get to that place where we can help these people. Okay, that's it, folks, tonight. Um, I hope that you are doing well, staying safe during this scary um, pandemic. And I hope that you are working on yourself to try to be a new, stronger uh, more empowered and independent individual. When the pandemic's over, you're going to emerge like a butterfly from a cocoon. Ta-da! And it's just going to be great. You're going to fly away over the rainbow. <laughs> okay, guys. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Bye.